0: Welcome to Peer Spectrum, where we bypass the ordinary and familiar to explore the unsettled edges of medicine, where we tackle real problems in depth with those specialized and dedicated to solving them, where we mine the knowledge and experience spectrum of your peers through long-form conversations, not sound bites. Take us with you anytime, anywhere, and get ready to make your downtime count.
1: Get ready for Peer Spectrum with Keith Mankin and Colin Miller.
0: All right, welcome back. Imagine a world where patients can access their medical records anytime, anywhere with immutable security. Imagine every instance along a patient's continuum of care recorded and easily searchable. Imagine the opportunity to meta-search millions of health records and data points and even outcomes without compromising an individual patient's personal identity. Imagine patients using these resources to evaluate and choose their hospitals and even you. This isn't science fiction or wishful thinking. It's a technology called blockchain. And if you've heard of Bitcoin, you've heard of blockchain. Today, we're happy to have Dr. William Gordon with us to help unpack this technology and allow us to separate the hype from the real and very exciting promise. While in medical school at Cornell, Will also had a side gig as a software developer. Will became involved with several technology startups, including serving as director of clinical products at One after residency. Today, Will is a clinical informatics fellow at Partners Healthcare, also serving as a hospitalist at Mass General and clinical instructor with Harvard Medical College. His research and recent papers focus on blockchain and the unique promise it holds for medicine. Obviously, with his unique background, Will is uniquely qualified to help us explore this exciting new technology. With that said, let's get started. Will, welcome to the show. We're just really thrilled to have you today. Great.
2: I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Well, Will, we're not going to talk a lot about Bitcoin today, but we got to start there because just this morning, this is uh, the 2nd of November, Bitcoin hit seven thousand dollars, and we were just talking before we started here how much all of us regret not getting in on this earlier. But it also leads you to wonder, you know, is this in a bubble? Is this, um, you know, how much hype is 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 fueling this? And even just last week, there's a British company called Online PLC that does a lot of work, not just in with bitcoins, but also uh, transactions and even healthcare. All they did was change their name to online blockchain. And by just putting blockchain in their name, their stock went up 394% in a day, which is just unbelievable. So there's definitely a lot of hype here. But we're not going to talk a lot about Bitcoin. We're going to talk more about the underlying technology, which is blockchain. And Will, if you want to start us out here, just give us an idea of where we find you right now in your career and take us through some of your clinical and research interests.
2: Great. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I'm kind of regretting my my lack of Bitcoin uh, purchases, you know, ten years ago, <laughs> or, or mining, yeah. So, so I am a um, an internal medicine physician. Uh, I practice primarily uh, in a field called hospital medicine, which is a, a, a you know, I think most folks are probably familiar with that. So, I see patients mainly in the hospital, and I'm on staff at Massachusetts General Hospital here in Boston. I've been staffed there for about four years now. I um, came up here to do my training, or trained at MJH as well. Um, and I spent some time in industry along the way, worked in a health IT vendor, and I'm currently um, uh, finishing up a fellowship in clinical informatics at Partners Healthcare, which is actually focused at um, uh, the main site is uh, Brigham and Women's Hospital, also in Boston. Um, so I, I really do try to bridge the world of academic research and informatics along with uh, clinical practice. Um, my two main areas of interest are information security. Uh, and uh, interoperability, and they're they're uh, very important um, uh, in 2017 for clinical data, for how we secure this data, uh, a- along with how we exchange it, and and um, blockchain in particular has really uh, married these two interests very closely, uh, and we'll talk about this more. But I, I really I, I became interested in blockchain in that context, really trying to figure out. How do we secure data? How do we make sure that our our, our systems and our data uh, silos are are secure and encrypted and can be trusted? And then uh, how can we also make sure that we're able to exchange data so that hospitals can talk to each other, so that uh, patients can get care multiple places um, without having to fax things, which is which is still basically the standard now. <laughs> um, and so, but I, I really so those are my two main areas, and I I found that blockchain actually really nicely. Uh, bridges these two worlds
0: all right you know we only have so much time today and this can get pretty complex but i think everybody has a basic idea what a bitcoin is or they think they do anyway maybe i think i do but blockchain is the underlying technology here just take us through kind of a a top level view of what blockchain is even maybe a little history here there's this guy uh satoshi nakamoto who may or may not even exist um but this is he or a group of people somewhere in the world created this, and it's really taken on a life of its own out there. Kind of give us a history and help us understand what blockchain is and what it isn't.
2: Great. So, so um, yeah, so Satoshi Nakamoto, in 2008, uh, this uh, white paper shows up um, describing a new digital currency. And, and digital currency has been envisioned for decades, I mean, ever since the first computer, since the first bit um, people have thought about how they could make uh, uh, an entirely digital currency. One of the biggest limitations and would, had it previously been a barrier was this thing called the double spend problem. And the, the inherent uh, problem that the double spend uh, situation describes is in a digital currency, how do you prevent somebody from sending money or sending the same money to two, to two different people? Uh, and because a digital currency is just bits and bytes, you could just copy it and send it to eight people, and all of a sudden, you really have spent um, the same thing eight times. And, of course, in a in real transaction, you can't do this because you have cash, and cash can only be spent once, and then someone else has the physical, uh, the physical uh, cash. And so what made this uh, 2008 white paper unique is that he described a solution to this double spend problem. Um, and uh, that really uh, started um, uh, Bitcoin and, and, and really brought blockchain uh, into, uh, into slowly into the mainstream. Uh, initially, it was sort of much more a very cult-like. Not very many people were, were actively using it or actively mining for new Bitcoin. But really, over the last uh, nine years since this was published, it's become tremendously um, uh, disruptive and influential and, and uh, powerful um and you know with the price today i think we, with this uh, seven thousand dollars per bitcoin today yeah. it's really a testament to how how uh, widespread this has become really in the last in the last nine years
0: and that's important to mention because this is real i mean this is not academic theory anymore uh, there's what 800 atms around the world there's you can actually pay in bitcoin you can be paid in bitcoin you can send yep. international mo- money wires through bitcoin but there's something called a distributed ledger. And take us through that. What does that actually mean? And why is that different than other security protocols that we use with our banks or EHRs today?
2: Yep. Um, so, so at a very high level, um, uh, so Bitcoin is one example of, of blockchain. And, and um, blockchain is a technology and which describes this distributed ledger. At a very, very high level, what blockchain fundamentally is, it's a technology that allows people who don't trust each other to agree on something Um, and in the context of Bitcoin that's financial transactions but it doesn't have to be it can be anything Uh, and what the distributed ledger allows um, uh, someone to do or what allows a system to do is to decentralize uh, distribute uh, and cryptographically enforce some piece of information some transaction or some data elements so that people who are spread out either all over the world or even in the same room, but don't actually trust each other and don't believe that the other is acting in in someone else's best interest, can at least agree on the data and the transactions that are happening. Um, And so there's a few really important characteristics here. So one is this decentralization. And so traditionally, most uh, uh, transactions or most agreements about data require someone in the middle to keep the source of truth. So in the financial world, that's a that's the bank. Um, for land ownership, that might be your town or your government. Um, but there's someone in, in the center who's an arbiter. Blockchain breaks this down and decentralizes it. So there really is no single arbiter anymore. Um, it's It's built around um, uh, consensus and decentralization. Um, there's a few other important characteristics characteristics of blockchain. Um, one is that it's anonymous, uh, and although um, Bitcoin is uh, transacted publicly, um, it doesn't have to be, but the, the, the actual um, uh, data exchange that's happening on most blockchain networks is anonymous, and so the identity of the, of the people uh, that, are, that are interacting does not have to be known. And so not only can you decentralize and allow people to agree without trusting each other, you don't even have to have the people know who the other one is. Uh, on the network, and that that's uh, tremendously powerful. Um, so it's really it's really a paradigm shift in how uh, these systems can can share and agree on data. And the, I think the most important component of it is that this idea that that traditionally you need someone in the center, you need someone who everybody trusts, um, and that could be the government, that could be your hospital, it could be uh, the bank. But blockchain breaks that down. So there's no central uh, central trust mediator.
0: So if I understand this correctly, and I'll try to use an innocuous example and not some of the more illicit you know, forms that are this is being used for, we've read about in the news, but I just want to buy a gift for my wife for Christmas, right? But I don't want her to know about it until Christmas. So, Will, I'm, I'm buying something from you and that transaction's put in a ledger, but it's not just my bank that has that ledger, not just the credit card statement that my wife could see. This could be 10 different computers anywhere that are holding this ledger But it's encrypted. So only you and I can actually access that record But everybody actually has it does that is that am I in the right direction there?
2: Yes, exactly And that's a really important point because the while your identity is hidden. It's cryptographically enforced It's the hash key. No one can really trace it back to you. It's public Uh, And in Bitcoin, every single person on the network sees every single uh, transaction. And what that means, importantly, is that if at any point in time your identity is linked to your key and that becomes public, uh, in the Bitcoin world, every single transaction you've ever made with that key is suddenly linked to you. And people now know that not only did you buy your wife this Christmas present, but you also bought someone else a present two days before or ten years ago. You bought something for someone else, and 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 so all that data is all of a sudden uh, linked to you, and that's a really important. Um, uh, you might call it a limitation, you might call it a strength, but it gets to this idea that while while Bitcoin is anonymous, it's not private, uh, or at least not the the public Bitcoin uh, and the public blockchains are not are not actually private, even though they're anonymous.
1: Yeah. Well, I can see how the. Um... Uh, how the openness of it would be appealing. I mean, obviously, no one's getting going to get away with massive shifts of of money without people knowing it. But how confident are you? How confident are people in the security? I mean, is it is this something that really happens that your uh, your identity gets exposed? Has that ever occurred?
2: Yeah, it's it's a great question. So, from a from a cryptography perspective, um, there's a lot of confidence in the actual ability to. To encrypt the data, so I think that's and that uses sort of the most modern cryptographic standards, um, SHA two and and um, twenty six, and so those are things that are I think there's confidence in that. What's a little bit um, uh, more complicated is this idea of linking to keys, and so so a good example. Let's again you just use Bitcoin as an example here. Let's say that your coffee shop um, takes Bitcoin, and you go in the morning, you buy a latte and you pay with Bitcoin. That transaction is totally public. So everybody in the world sees that these two anonymous people exchanged some amount of Bitcoin for this. And they don't know what it's for. They just see that transaction. Now, if I am trying to track you down, um, I can follow you around and see that you made this transaction at this coffee shop uh, and that coffee shop's Bitcoin address is public. And so then I can go back to the the Bitcoin network, this their, their blockchain network, and say at you know, 8.24 a.m. this morning, this transaction occurred for this amount of Bitcoin. And I know that it was you because I saw you do it. And I know that one receiver, I know the address of the coffee shop because it's public. They, they post it so that they can get paid. I now know your address. And now I theoretically know everything you've ever done on the Bitcoin from that address on the blockchain network. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. And who issues this address? How you know is this like you know like the Social Security Administration gives us social security numbers? I mean, where do these come from?
2: so so it's all um uh, the the logistics of it are a little um are are actually quite complicated, um, but they're they're essentially randomly generated uh, keys um and they they rely on this thing called public private key cryptography, which is a way of of uh, signing piece of data with a key so that only somebody with the private key can actually access it. So it relies on that and that, um, on that technology as well. Um, and importantly, what a lot of folks have done to address this is that a lot of, a lot of Bitcoin addresses are only used once. Uh, and so even though, you know, you can look at an address and see every transaction forever, the most transactions or a lot of transactions are only used once to, to avoid this problem. So that even if you see a transaction, you know one one receiver or one address. If it's only used once, then it may be harder to actually track down all the the person's pri- uh, prior uh, prior transactions. So there are ways around it, but this public key private key um, uh, mechanism for securing data is really and a really a really important component of, of of most blockchain networks and Bitcoin in particular.
0: So I guess the goal there is right now not to allow tracking of people, but just to maintain the you know the currency itself, so that. You know we're not inflating the currency by introducing fake bitcoins, and that people can be confident using this as we get into our discussion here and using this for medical records we might have a key that is unique to a patient and we maintain that key is that does that sound right
2: I think that that's that's a good analogy that most the the the, the thought is for healthcare in the healthcare world, especially dealing with patients and patient data that ultimately patients would need some sort of unique address that would link um, their their data on the blockchain network back to that to that patient ID Okay
0: right. So before we get into that I, I know we don't want to spend too much time on security here because you know All of our listeners can go online and try to learn more about this if they're interested But it is important so far with Bitcoin. Have there been any big hacks? Have there been any security breaches? Um, or has it been so far proven to be a pretty reliable form of, um, of uh, financial transactions?
2: So it's, it's a good question, and it's it's um like all things in the blockchain world, it's a little bit nuanced, and it kind of depends on your perspective. So so by and large, the fundamental blockchain or, or Bitcoin protocol um, is is secure, uh, and there have not been any um, fundamental vulnerabilities in the way that these transactions are done that have that have, um, that have uh, kind of that have the potential to ruin the network. There have been, um, the reason why I say it's complicated is that there have been some uh, more well-publicized uh, uh, vulnerabilities or hacks around some of the services that manage Bitcoin on behalf of individuals. And so, you know, you can imagine that interacting with Bitcoin and, and, and the Bitcoin network is is uh, complex and hard for an individual to do. So there's an, an entire ecosystem of companies that can help you manage your coins and either it's Bitcoin or any other uh, blockchain network. And so um, and by doing that, they're exposed to your personal data and they're exposed to your Bitcoin addresses. And so some of those companies have had some well-publicized uh, attacks over the last few years. Um, but by and large, the, the actual Bitcoin uh, protocol um, has held out to be fairly, um, uh, uh, not fairly, actually um, remarkably robust. Uh, and it's been pressured. It's actively pressured. I mean, every second there's, it's being tested and, and stressed. So it's, it, has, it has held out.
0: So that's almost like saying someone hacked into my smartphone, but they didn't actually hack into Verizon. Verizon's still intact. It's just my smartphone and my access to whatever I'm doing is what, you know, was vulnerable in that case.
2: Exactly. It's an intermediary. Um, And, and you know, we always hedge a little bit because there's, you never know. You know, this is is technology. It's new. It's bleeding edge. It's based on code. Um, And if we've learned anything about our software in the last year, there's fundamental vulnerabilities even in things that we didn't that we didn't think were vulnerable uh, and so um a good example of this is the, the, one of the well-known wireless protocols was um uh, was publicly there's a public disclosure of a vulnerability a few weeks ago in wpa2 that's a protocol that's 13 years old that had a, a ton of confidence around its uh, uh around its safety so so we always hedge because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring but but yeah it, it is remarkably robust
0: Okay, so I think we've we've done as much as we can there. Um, let's let's jump into healthcare here. So there's huge promise here, not just for patients paying their copays at your office, but for uh, medical records, obviously looking at medical history, for maintaining the um, the the safety of medications, uh, reducing counterfeit, uh, empowering patients so they have access to their information anywhere, uh, even to uh, actually evaluating doctors themselves based on their, their clinical outcomes, I and mean, it goes on and on. But let's just start where your interest has been, and that has been in medication tracking. Just tell us, Will, what you've been working on there and how blockchain plays into this.
2: Great, yeah. So there, there's there's tons of, of potential use cases in healthcare, and one of the one of the areas that, um, that I've gotten interested in here has been around medications. And there are a bunch of different places where blockchain could help uh, with um, uh medication uh, medication adherence and medication uh, reconciliation and, and, and um, sort of distribution um, we um, have we wrote a white paper um, as part of the uh, an ONC blockchain co- uh, contest last summer describing a medication reconciliation uh, solution in blockchain and the idea was that um, as as uh, you know I'm sure it's familiar to most people medication um, uh, prescrip- prescriptions can be a quite uh, complicated Situation. So, you think about the average patient, or even take an elderly patient who's on a bunch of medications. The amount of of different people who prescribe that medication um, and interact with that medication. You have hospitals, you have clinics, you have specialists, primary care providers, pharmacies, benefit managers, um, uh, claims claims data uh, claims clearinghouses, et cetera. So, there's tons and and Potentially dozens of individuals who are interacting with that data, not to mention the patient themselves, who has some obviously some skin in the game here. <laughs> and uh, and one of the challenges in healthcare is how do you actually uh, um, come up with the definitive list of medications that a patient is on? And for some patients that are that are complicated and and are on you know dozens of medications, this is not an easy feat, uh, and some, sometimes can take providers hours to to do. Uh, and even in that setting, they may not be uh, accurate. So so uh, what we devised was a, 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 so addressing that problem, which is how do you come up with a, a single agreed upon centralized medication list? Um, how do you address that problem? And so we proposed to use blockchain to do it. And the idea was that uh, you'd have multiple stakeholders and multiple entities on the network. So all the f- people are all the the folks I mentioned, so hospitals and, and clinics, would all be on this network. And every time a patient's medication information changed in any way, um, the, each individual would essentially um, post that to the de- distributed ledger. So instead of money or instead of a transaction, uh, uh, you know, some Bitcoin, it would actually be a medication prescription. Um, and so, an, you know, example would be a a cardiologist prescribes metoprolol for their patient the The primary care doctor in in the past may not even may not be able to know that that happened. But because they're all in this blockchain network, they can now see that this uh, medication was prescribed. And then when the pharmacist fills that prescription, um, they then post that transaction to the blockchain, and so everybody can see that the patient actually picked it up, um, and uh, and you can kind of see that the real benefit here and the result is a, is the vision was a centralized list of of uh, medications that all people on the network could at least see, um, and, and agree upon.
0: And I'm sure some of the goal here includes, uh, reducing o- opioid, uh, you know, over, uh, prescriptions, because if you can see that Dr. A prescribed this, then they can't go to Dr. B or Dr. D and get it as well. Um, yep. huge promise there as well.
2: Yeah, exactly. And you know, there, there's a few, a few sort of tangible examples of, of, of how this could play out. So one uh, along along the lines of of uh, the opioid um, use case, you could one of the one of the challenges in in is um, that a lot of patients and providers have is this idea of believability and you know often patients may a pharmacy may be out of me- out of a medication and can only partially fill a prescription, but it, for opioids, it's obviously um, most providers who wouldn't necessarily believe that that was the case and they had to call a pharmacy and then rewrite the prescription for the rest of it in the blockchain world, that would sort of be solved because um, the the pharmacy would would post publicly to this network, we filled half the prescription and the provider would see that. Um, Similarly, uh, a lot of states have um, now centralized uh, opioid reporting so that every time you uh, prescribe uh, an opioid, it kind of, um, it it gets uh, sent to some state data repository that other providers can look at uh, and see uh, and ver- verify that patients aren't getting prescriptions in multiple places. That's a great use case for blockchain and potentially could be uh, could be done across different states as well. Um, so yeah there's, there's a bunch of use cases here that really would benefit from uh, from this type of solution and and centralizing and agreeing and really not just centralizing but agreeing on medication events uh, across a distributed network mm-hmm. like that.
0: So, what does a user interface look like? Is this embedded in the EHR in the pharmacy where they just look up the, they put in the patient's individual key code, as we talked about earlier. It brings this up. Um, what does the patient see when they do they log into a website? What does that look like?
2: Yeah, so so the way we we had envisioned it was you would need some sort of um, user interface. and so this I think this actually speaks to to some of the complexities around getting um, blockchain into actual use. Um, but the idea was that there would be some portal, um, ideally within the EHR, but it would not necessarily have to be, where providers and and the other entities on this network would log in uh, and be able to see um, uh, see the medication events and transactions that were happening, and we had uh, we had imagined it using a data standard called FHIR, which F H I R, which uh, stands for Fast Healthcare. Interoperabil- Interoperability resources, which is a data model that's becoming popular for exchanging health data, and so we had imagined that because it was a because the data was being transferred using the standard, then it could be uh, incorporated into EHRs or uh, and actually interoperate across different healthcare entities. Um, but yeah, you're right; you would need some sort of interface, uh, some sort of way for each of the different. Um, actors on this blockchain network to interact with the data, both to exchange it and to send it out, but then also to receive it and, and to read the, data, read the data and the events uh, that were coming in.
0: So everything is then distributed on this distributed ledger. And if there's a mistake made on a medication, how do you correct that once it's gone mm-hmm. out to all these different ledgers?
2: Yeah, it's great. It's it's a great question. That, you know, I, I think one of the biggest concerns with blockchain is, is it's also one of its strengths which is this idea of immutability, um, that once something is on the blockchain, it is on that blockchain forever. Uh, and that's a strength because it allows you to see a certain data provenance for things. So you, so there's, you can't go back and change history um, because it's all recorded on the blockchain and it's cryptographically enforced and, and secure. Um, but the challenge, of course, is that if it's, everything's immutable then and something needs to change, how do you actually do that and so um the the, the way we kind of the way we imagine it is that if there's a an error made or something is incorrect then a new event or a new transaction would would be uh, appended to the blockchain and would override that previous one and so it, it, as a more tangible example let's say a a, 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 a provider writes for a um a brand name medication, so a, a, a provider writes for Lipitor, um, and the patient um, uh, doesn't have uh, the brand uh, on their on their benefit package for their insurance. So they go to the pharmacist. They go to the pharmacy, and the pharmacy says, "Well, we can't fill Lipitor, but we can we can fill a Torvastatin, because that's that's the generic name for the generic for it." Um, and it, if the pharmacist could then fill a Torvastatin. Uh, and ad- append that to the blockchain so that what you'd end up seeing is you would see two prescriptions. You'd see Lipitor, and then you'd see a Atorvastatin. But because of the same medication, you would know that the patient's only on the last one that's on the blockchain. So there's a, it's a way of addressing that that immutability.
1: Okay. Yeah, and we, we know from um, the electronic medical record that there are huge advantages to the permanence, that you don't want to necessarily erase it. I think that a lot of the abuse in the system is. Uh, in the old days of written um, records has come from the the fact that there was no record to say yeah I had this before I tried this before um, so that probably is a strength but um, it does rely to some degree on um, uh, sort of the the human factor still I mean this still has to be entered at some point it's not an automatic thing
2: exactly yeah I think that's it's great you know one of the strengths is that you 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 know, there's an audit trail, and and you can right. go back and say, like, you know, ha- has this has this patient ever? You know, the patient may have a penicillin aller- allergy listed, but have they ever been on penicillin? And you know, you can go back and say, six years ago, they were on penicillin, or they were on amoxicillin for an ear infection, right? And and you can know that they they tolerated it. Right. But at the, the same same time, you do need a way for these systems to actually to actively engage, because if if certain components of the of the network don't Post or don't publish their events, you're missing key pieces of it. and and that and then the the benefit of this type of distributed network is lost when not all the people on the network actually participate
1: right? which is um by and large with the way things are working with prescriptions now, it's a reasonably captive population. you It should be relatively easy to capture uh, most prescriptions because most prescriptions are written electronically right now. Um, are there going to be ways, or do you foresee a problem with some of these mail order prescription firms, uh, are you going to have to get buy-in from them and is that then going to have to t- turn into sort of a whole international process?
2: Yeah, it's going to be, I think that's, you speak to a lot of the, a lot of the challenges once, once, once we, um, uh, try to scale this out, it, you know, if a lot of patients might get medications, um, online um, Mm -hmm. from international pharmacies Um, and some patients may actually even get medications over the counter and so a good example of that is aspirin. Um, You can buy aspirin over the counter and so even if you're not prescribed it um, but you're taking it and and that's an important medication for somebody to know you're on especially if you come in bleeding and so not only do you need to get all the pharmacy anyone that handles prescriptions but ideally you'd want some way to get over-the-counter medications there as well, which, of course, it's, I think would probably be um, infeasible just given the, um, the reality of, you know, someone can walk into a store and buy aspirin with cash, right? And so how do you, how do you actually um, uh, get their patient identity linked and all that other stuff? Right. So, so it's, there's a lot of, I think, a lot of complexity here to, to actually operationalizing this at scale um, that you're speaking to.
0: And so if I'm a patient and I show up at an ER in Orlando, because I was down there with my family for, for you know, going to see Disney World or something, would I have to give an access key code to the hospital there for them to be able to see my records here in, in Raleigh? Or, you know, how would that work? And, and that's assuming that this has been distributed across the country, which it hasn't yet, but assuming we get there. Right,
2: right. So, so, you know, initially we'd built, you know, we had built, we kind of envisioned this as a private blockchain. So we would have... And a private blockchain, um, uh, in contrast to a public blockchain, which is which uh, Bitcoin is, um, a private blockchain is a all the people on the network are known um, and sort of invite only, right? So you don't have anonymous people; you have you have known entities on the network. And so we'd imagine this medication reconciliation tool as a, as a as a private blockchain where you'd have hospitals and, and outpatient facilities, et cetera, all the different entities on the network. And, and in our context, it would be local. So it would be the, 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 the people that were um, stakeholders in our community. Um, and, but the, the vision right, and the power of blockchain of, of something like this or something uh, decentralized with any clinical data is that you as a patient could have a wristband or could have a code in your phone that basically links to your identity on the blockchain somewhere and um, an individual with that code could then get pull that data out of that blockchain just based on that code, and it could be across states, it could be across countries, it could be wherever. Um, and that, that's sort of the that's sort of the potential here. And 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 you know, I think we're obviously a ways away from that, but that is that is a very exciting uh, possibility here, and and something that I'm really looking forward to seeing how it plays out.
0: Absolutely. We're going to move on from pharmaceuticals, but let me ask one more question about this. There was a recent article in Forbes about um, at least two major pharmaceutical companies starting to explore tracking their supply chain. So if we look at where a medication is actually made and then how it goes through the distributors and finally makes its way to CVS, I don't know much about counterfeit medications, but I would imagine somewhere in that supply chain, someone's intercepted it, put in something that's fake, but with this... Ledger system that's also distributed, where everybody has access to it, or at least everybody within that that circle. You're going to be able to det- detect this much easier and see exactly where things came from and know who handled it every step of the way. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah, I think that's. I think
2: supply uh, supply chain in general is one of the most exciting use cases for blockchain, and it's one of the use cases that I, I've actually seen. Um, uh, been reported as as operationally successful and functional, and, and the the one of the examples is that the Danish um, uh, shipping uh, company Maersk has, has, has there's been a bunch of press about their use of blockchain um, for this, and, and and the basic idea, like you described is it's because blockchain is a as a tamper-proof way of storing information. Um, you could post or or use the blockchain to to show a medication's full life cycle. So let's start with production. So when the medication is actually produced at some manufacturing site, that event linked to some code on the medication gets pushed um, to the blockchain. The distributor then records their distribution of it. The retailer then records their their um, their acquisition and selling it. And then you as the customer, when you finally get that medication, can can look at the lot number or look at that medica- that that some some unique key for that medication, uh, and see its full life cycle, and and know that um, where it started and all the, and all the steps along the way, and and really trace it back to the original production site and date. Um, and you know, I think there are a few issues here. So one, this is obviously possible today without blockchain, um, but there's a lot of issues of trust, especially when you start getting to international distribution of, of right. medications. Um, and then I think. The other piece here is that it doesn't, doesn't fully prevent counterfeit, right? You could still come into CVS and swap out a, a, a medication. Um, but without that unique key, you wouldn't be able to confidently link it back to um, production. And so somebody with a fake medication would be much more much more likely that somebody could ascertain that their medication is, is counterfeit with um, this type of uh, uh, technology.
1: Right. So the phrase you used before the provenance of it—that's that's really a, a fascinating point. Yep. Um, do you see a time or an ability from uh, from blockchain, such as in the the um, the storage and the life um, uh, history of of a drug, or maybe even in a closed population, of mining it for anonymous data? For instance, could you take uh, the population at the Mass General, who theoretically are all going to be on this for all their medical um, uh, reconciliations, and could you say, okay, X percent of this population is on Lipitor, or X percent is on this? Is that a a, um, uh, utility that, that will be available, or is everything locked up in anonymous data and untouchable?
2: Yeah, so it's definitely uh, a possibility, and and you know I, I don't think that we're imagining anything like that right now. This is you know a, a, a strictly a white paper and trying to imagine you know think about what the, this use case might be. Um, but this I, this idea that you could an- use clinical data that's on the blockchain for um, large scale research, uh, uh, distributed research, um, I think is really exciting, and it's a way of uh, uh, you know there, there's a lot of a lot of issues along the way, regulatory, et cetera, that need to be mm-hmm. addressed. But this idea that a patient could actually um, control the release of their data for research through the blockchain is is immensely powerful. Um, right. And and I think that, you know, I think we're obviously still a ways away, but what you describe is one of the really great potentials here of, yeah. of just improving access to data for researchers and, and knowledge in this area.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the problems with any clearinghouse or any database is who controls the database. Um, You know, if we have to do a registry and we send our patients into some central area, we have to trust that those patients are, A, protected and B, being used appropriately. This way, as you say, there's no centralization. The data is out there, but it can only be used with uh, a permission. So it sort of automatically gives the consent and the assent I mean, I think it's a, it is a potential great application, and, and registries are so important right now. It's, it may be the best way to keep registries rather than try to have some central clearinghouse.
2: Yeah, I really I think, I think the, the potential here is for it to really put control of data back into the patient's hands. Right. Um, and that's, that's a really, really powerful and I think really important uh, uh, point here.
0: So, you know, we're looking at just with your project right now. What's your goal right now? I mean, is this to deploy with other health systems? Just to study it at Mass General? What are you guys looking at in the next few years?
2: Yeah. So, so right now, um, we so we we've written this white paper describing what this might look like, and I, I think that um, we're still trying to figure out the right way to actually. Um, uh, if we were to operationalize this what is the right way to actually roll it out um, and uh, and study it and implement it and you know there's there's a few issues here so so one is the technology itself so what what type of technology what what type of technology and what type of blockchain uh, network would we want to use and it would certainly be private um, so it wouldn't be um, you know publicly available on on um, uh, and you know, I think there's there's a bunch of other issues. How do we how do we get uh, different stakeholders to 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 sign on to this? Once we once we actually have the technology up and running, um, and so I think I think we're very much still in in an exploratory phase and and trying to understand, you know, we've described what this might look like. Um, is there is there a there there right? Is is this something that actually has legs and and actually is the right use case or is it such that right now in healthcare, blockchain really best for supply, supply chain management or, or operational efficiencies, and, and it's not quite prime time for actual clinical data yet? Uh, and so th- th- we're really trying to understand that question before we move forward with anything, before we actually try to, try to interface with real data. Because I think the, the stakes are, are high here, right? And this is actual patient data, so we're, we're very much trying to, to take it slowly and try to understand what, right. the, what the use case is.
0: Yeah, because if a mistake is made early on, I mean it could really delay the deployment of this technology. It could create a lot of fear, so um, or
1: yeah, or ruin it forever. It's true. Right. Yep. Are there other centers that are working on it that you'd know of?
2: So there's there's another um, another effort actually coincidentally around uh, medication reconciliation as well Mm -hmm. um, that was um, also a white paper described by folks from MIT and the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. Uh, who, <laughs> <Competition>, <laughs> uh, <from> yeah, who
1: competition?
2: Yeah, <laughs> um, and 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 I know them. I've, you know, I've, I've, uh, John Homka is sort of the, the clinical lead on that. I'm the BI, uh, the Beth Israel CIO, and I know, you know. I've met with him about this, and I've met with the, the MIT folks. So very, very collegial, and they they've actually I think probably made a little bit more progress. So they had a they had a functioning prototype. Um, their theirs was called uh, their solution is called MedRec, uh, and it's a little bit of a, a different model. And so um, in in our model we. We describe actually storing um, the data what's called on-chain, and so the idea is that you actually use the blockchain to store the data itself. Um, my understanding of the the BI and MIT solution is that the actual clinical data is stored off-chain, so not on the, on the chain, but the chain the blockchain is used to manage. Um, Operational information and and access permissions, et cetera, are, are around the data itself, and so oh, um, it's a little bit of a different model, and 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 I, I think very exciting, and, and potentially one that might actually have more success. Uh, and, and and they were able to actually pilot it at the BI using, I, I believe, a, um, not in production, but in a in a, in a development environment. And they've, and um, Dr. Halanka, they they've written about this, uh, their their experience with this as well, similar um, like we have, and. Um, And so, uh, around so so that's another that's that's a that's another good example of uh, of a clinical use case. Um, And there's a lot of folks, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that are talking about it. um, And there's a lot of interested. um, there's a lot of other p- uh, projects that have been announced or underway. So another good, another example of one is the CDC is very interested in blockchain mm, um, for, for yeah, which is which uh, which makes sense. And so they've they, there's been some press around their efforts. They really they really see blockchain as a as a game changer for certain types of reporting. And and I agree. Uh, and so they 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 seem to be actively pursuing some work in this area as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. That takes us back to the data mining. You know, early detection of pandemics and. It's it's huge potential there. Yeah. Let's talk about the data mining a little more too, because I've also read that there's a potential. We actually had a whole episode on this about, we all know about the doctor's rating sites and patient, you know, reviews. And it is a, actually a very difficult question to ask who is a good doctor or who is a good surgeon to go to. It's not, not an easy thing to, to answer. But this could actually take us a step in that direction by looking at, thousands of patient records, thousands of patient outcomes, and even if we could remove the, the identifying patient information and just study that, it might give us an indication on the effectiveness of different providers and hospital systems too, which also could mean you know, some resistance from certain parties there to allowing people to have access to this. What do you think about that? I mean, what's the potential, and then do you think that that's a good direction that we should go in?
2: Yeah, I think it's a it's a great it's a great question and and um, very controversial and and it, I think it's still being played out even even beyond blockchain. So forgetting blockchain for a second, this this question, as you mentioned, is really being um, being actively um, uh, discussed and 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 um, debated uh, nationally and internationally. And and I think you know I think um, from a so so blockchain certainly makes uh, clinical events and. Ah, uh, clinical information potentially widely available, and so, you know, in the in a in a world where blockchain, where clinical data is totally open on the blockchain, you have, you, you have a lot of uh, a ton of ability to data mine uh, provider potentially provider outcomes from these clinical events. I think that you know, we're if we ever get there, it's going to be decades, right? Because I think that the issues around around t- an, a public blockchain with clinical data is just there's 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 so many issues around privacy and regulation that I, I, I'm, I'm not even sure we want to get there. Right. Um, but but one, you know, I think there's, there's potentially some steps along the way that it could be interesting to, to see how they play out. And so, so one, one example of that is procedural volume. Uh, and so um, you can imagine as a patient, you might want to know how many times uh, your heart surgeon does bypass surgery. Um, uh, a year. And, and some, some states actually already report this. So you know New York State, for example, reports uh, 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 bypass uh, uh, statistics. Uh, and so, so imagine a blockchain network where every hospital has to report uh, every CPT code uh, along with the volume of that CPT code um, uh, for, for every procedure they do or every surgery they do. And so they may not necessarily have to post the specific provider, but just 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 that it's happening at that hospital. And so there, you can imagine some, some situations here where you may not be you know um, looking at individual provider data, but you're looking at at a more macro level, so system level data, and allowing patients to start to interact with that and understanding what is the procedural volume at this hospital, like how many uh, how many bypass surgeries are they doing a year? Um, and to do that in a blockchain, so that everybody every every member of that blockchain network could actually see it uh, and access it and so the potential is there um, but like you mentioned there's a lot of you know there's a lot of things that need to be I think sorted out and 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 discussed along the way and to make sure that all the stakeholders so patients and providers and health systems and insurance companies I think every you want everybody to be on board um, um, and to support it because I think that those types of initiatives have the most success when you have uh, stakeholder alignment and so but I can imagine a few ways where that could play out benefiting uh, all the parties involved.
0: Yeah, because we have something sure. similar in North Carolina. But I know if it's under a certain number of cases, like a certain number of total knee arthroplasties, they won't show it because you could, it'd be easier to identify an individual provider that way. So if you have like the Cleveland Clinic and there's tons of orthopedists there doing tons of total knees, you could provide that data because it'd be really hard to see, detect at an individual level who's doing what. But if you're at a small rural community hospital, there may be be only one orthopedist there. And they might be very resistant to that data being released because it's just them. So this could be, I could see this being great for bigger health systems, but maybe, you know, very difficult for smaller ones.
2: Yeah, no, I I think that's a great point. And I think that, you know, it's, however it does play out, it's going to be, I think it's going to be slow. And I think it's going to have to, it's going to have to involve, um, all the different, um, uh, Facets of the healthcare system, so community hospitals, academic hospitals, et cetera. I think a good example of how of uh, of how this has, I think, played out successfully so far, has a lot of um, hospitals are now publishing um, their own physician reviews um, on websites. I uh, think Cleveland Clinic does a bunch. Cleveland Clinics does this, and, right. and you probably <clears throat> do this as well. And and um, I think using data from Prescany and and uh, and to my to my understanding and talking to d- different providers who have participated in this is that it has been largely wide uh, well received by providers, um and uh, but again that's just a, that's just a small step a few pilot hospitals I think you're right that you really to to do this at scale you have to have um, a way of addressing the 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 needs and concerns of not only patients but also the systems because I think there are there are aspects of patient safety here as well because um you know not some some of these procedures it's complicated and and if a procedure is, is needed urgently um the the need for the, the clinical benefit of doing that procedure urgently at a site that does less of them may outweigh the potential benefit of going to a higher volume uh facility that does more of that right. and that's a really important thing to understand that 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 again i don't know there's one right answer but um right. i think uh um i think blockchain does have the potential to to disrupt the space uh, a little bit in the sense of just a, at least a mechanism for making this data more available. Um, uh, how it plays out, I think, is a much more, much deeper conversation.
0: Yeah, because you didn't have to know, you know, there might be an orthopedist who travels to three different hospitals, and it looks like very low volume at each hospital, but actually he does a, a very normal amount of volume, and you'd have to, you yeah. well, anyway, go on and on about this.
2: Right. Yeah, so it's a great, that's a, it's a perfect example of why why you really need to make sure you have kind of everyone aligned and can and figure out ways to address that so you can control for that you know and 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 communicate that back to patients so they they have sort of the full picture when they're making these decisions
1: yeah i think the important thing is that it's uh, you as a physician and and other physician groups who are doing this um having seen this effect with first outcome studies, and then evidence-based medicine, and then value-based medicine, where the efforts really got hijacked by uh, insurance regulators, by CMS, by government regulation, and uh, federal um, uh, powers, if you will. It's important that we see this technology, we recognize it, and we own it, because ultimately we need to to decide how this data is going to be used for the good of healthcare rather than uh, for the good of payments and things like that.
2: I think that's I think that's right. The, the benefit for for improving clinical care, whether it's uh, pand, you know pandemic disease reporting for the CDC or better medication reconciliation so that you have um, uh, an accurate list of medications for a patient, or better allergy data for the patients that you take care of, whatever it is, the the the, the, the potential for clinical benefit here is 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 uh, is immense, right. uh, and and I think that it's uh, really really important that that is the fundamental. Uh, thing that's kept uh, in mind as we explore and 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 try to pilot these and and evaluate these technologies.
1: Sure. Well, put on your futurist hat for just a second, and this may include blockchain, may not. Um, as a hospital-based medicine uh, specialist, you um, you know the frustration of having a patient come in where you just don't have access to the chart. You can't tell what happened in the history. Will we see a time in your career? do you think where all the medical records talk to each other, where you really have access to sort of a universal medical record and will it be a blockchain type of thing that, that gives you that access?
2: Yeah, I, I, um, I kind of live this frustration day to day. We still, and I think this this is, I think every hospital has to do this. We still rely on access uh, um, uh, in our, in our hospitals, right? right? So if I want, yeah. um, uh, outside records from a certain hospital we have to fax a request over then they fax it back and as paper it gets photocopied and put in the chart and that is the reality of of a lot of uh, data sharing today um okay. but i am i am incredibly optimistic about the future i think there's a there's a there are a bunch of initiatives um, underway right now that are gonna um, that have already done this and will continue to improve um, and uh, uh, facilitate data sharing and I think one of the um, one of the really interesting things about the U.S. healthcare system is that our clinical data is largely um, maintained and controlled by healthcare systems. And there's a, you know, there, there are a bunch of regulations around uh, patients' rights of access to that data, and HIPAA does a good job, I think, of, of mandating that. And so you as a patient can get your own data out um, uh, of these systems, but it's still largely controlled by these, by these systems. Um, and they store it, and it's a service system. And they store it, and they maintain it. And and um, uh, if you imagine the 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 opposite of that, where hospitals had no data about their patients, patients had all the data. So right. every time you went to a hospital, all the things that happened, every note that was written about you, every lab that that uh, was done, um, you then became the steward for. Um, then you become the your ability to share data is 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 tied to you as a patient. And, and I, you know, I, I don't know that one is, I don't know that's where we want to head completely, but I do think that there, I, I do see the future as a, as a world in which there's a combination of these things where patients do have um, a little bit more stewardship of their data, where they do have bracelets where they can um, uh, authorize release of, of their data to a provider, or they do have, they can, you know, tap their phone uh, on your computer, and it transmits their data to, to, to your system automatically. Uh, and there there are a bunch of initiatives underway right now. So th- some of the things I'm excited about are um, uh, FHIR. So I mentioned it earlier, Fast Healthcare mm-hmm. Interoper- Interoperability Resources. It's a data model that's really become quite popular in, in the standards community for expressing clinical data. Um, there's a FHIR has been incorporated into a larger effort called Smart on FHIR, which is a, a mechanism for actually building... Mm-hmm. Applications that are portable between healthcare systems using this data model, um, and uh, so that's one example of, of a technology that will help support this. And then, on a regulatory perspective, there's also I think um, uh, been support for this. So, Meaningful Use three, um, and, and you know, for all you can, for all the challenges with Meaningful Use, Meaningful Use three does have uh, an API requirement, which is has been controversial, but. Um, API stands for application and programming interface, and it's a way of 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 getting data out of a of a system uh, programmatically. Uh, Meaningful use three requires this um, uh, for participants, and so um, uh, I think that the I, I do I am very optimistic about where about where this is going, um, and it, it may involve blockchain, it may not, um, but I I think that one of the important things is is one, like we discussed, keeping it uh, rooted in clinical benefit um, and, and, and care delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think that that's super important. And then also keeping the patients in mind and their privacy and security is, is paramount. And right. um, as we do this and go slowly uh, uh, with, with some of these technologies that keeping, keeping that in mind will be really important um, for, not only for the success of the projects, but also for patients' trust in our healthcare systems.
0: Well, you may not know the uh, answer to this, and that's okay, but you mentioned a lot of these things are probably going to take decades to deploy if they ever do. And I, I totally agree with you, especially in the United States. But if I'm thinking about countries uh, you know, such as Britain with the NHS, or even here, you know, a single system like the U.S. military has, are you aware of any other countries or systems that have implemented these, these technologies a little faster, um, especially for mining the data? And if so, what have they learned?
2: Yeah, so I think you're right that you know a lot of the. Um, I think it's unlikely that the U.S. will be the first um, uh, blockchain healthcare place because of a lot of the complexities around data regulation and the and all of the different um, uh, stakeholders and different systems. Um, we've seen some countries that have really taken the lead on on blockchain technology in general. So a good example of that is uh, Estonia. So. Yeah. Estonia has really done, has made tremendous headway in not only just digital technology in general, but they actually have done um, uh, a bunch of work on, on um, blockchain. Um, uh, there's been other examples, I think in, in Greece they're piloting, um, or they've already piloted using blockchain for, for land ownership. Um, and so there's, a, there's, I think, a few uh, smaller countries that are more centralized in terms of their bureaucracy and, and, and government. Uh, may already are and will continue to be um, some of the leaders in this space because they just have less, less, in, less, um, less barriers sure. to change. Right, they can kind of get changed on easily. So um, I think I think we may be looking outwards um, for the first great examples of of uh, clinical clinical data being used on a blockchain, and um, uh, it'll be exciting to watch.
0: Well, will, we're coming up to the end of the time so, here. Uh, Keith, do you have any other questions? No, it's, a, it's it exciting. Really is, <laughs> uh, you know, um, well, you've been really generous with your time. I know you probably have patients to see today and other things to do. So we really appreciate it. Um, just to wrap it up here. Uh, to me, this seems like it's a complex technology, but I think there's a lot of promise even for smaller startup companies and maybe individual physicians um, who might be listening to this and thinking they want to maybe get, you know, get their hands in it, either as being an advisor to a company or maybe start, you know, experimenting some- with something on their own. Just tell our listeners some really good sources of information where they could go to learn more about this, resources, and and also learn more about the work you're doing.
2: Great. So there's a um, a few places that I um, kind of follow for for blockchain news. Um, uh, a lot of blockchain news is actually um, so so general technology sites. So the the MIT Technology Review does a great job of reporting on uh, on on some of these cryptocurrencies, but I think also blockchain um, in general. Um, there was a recent article in, uh, for the, on the more academic side, there was a recent article in uh, JAMIA, which is a journal for the American Medical Informatics Association written by a group out of um, the University of California, San Diego, which is basically a, a pretty comprehensive description of the technology itself, um, as well as a lot of the use cases and examples that are that are in place today, and, and just as an example of the comprehensiveness of this paper, I think there are like a, something like a hundred citations, uh, or more than a hundred citations. So it's really um, a very a very good could be a very good place to start. Um, there are um, a there's a, a blockchain healthcare website, um, which that the, the name I'm, I'm blinking the name right now. I think it's like I think it's something around blo- blockchain healthcare news. It's okay, um, we'll get it from you that, later
0: and uh, put it up in the show notes.
2: Yeah, which I think also does a great job of, of, uh, uh, of uh, maintaining this. And there's tons of startups um, uh, that have really come out, not only for Bitcoin in general, but also, or blockchain in general, but but in the healthcare context. Wow.
0: Well, thanks so much for coming on. I mean, this is just fascinating. I mean, there's just, I mean, we could have talked all afternoon about all the possibilities here, but I think this is a good uh, way to dip our toes in. And really, I appreciate you sharing your time with us today. This is excellent. No, thank you. Thank
2: you for having me. It was a
0: Absolutely.
1: blast. Yeah. I hope we'll be able to have you in, on in uh, some time and see how the progress is and, and keep track of this uh, development.
0: That'd be yeah, great. We'll do it. Well, um, everybody, that was Dr. William Gordon. We're going to have more about him in the show notes. Uh, there's a lot more to explore, so we'll get all that information up for you. Uh, in the meantime, thanks for joining us. This is Colin Miller, Keith Mankin on Pure Spectrum.
1: Thanks for joining us on Peer Spectrum. Please support the show by writing a review on iTunes and join the conversation at PeerSpectrum.com. Keep up with the latest episodes and share your ideas with us on Twitter, Facebook, or email at PeerSpectrum.com.